Grateful that you guys are here tonight. I really love that last song. I probably haven't heard that for a long time. That's a throwback, right? But that last, that, that line, all my delight is in you, Lord. I mean, I think about that and that just hits me because I think about the delight in my life. What am I finding my purpose in? And what am I... What am I finding my delight in? What am I finding my joy and peace and comfort in? Kind of like what Marlene was saying. It all just kind of connects tonight. And I hope that that's what God is speaking to us tonight. That, that this message just connects to each of us in a way that transforms and renews and strengthens and confirms. Uh, the other day I had a conversation with the one and only Sky Weber. If you don't know Skye, she is a big dog here when it comes to serving God and loving others. She's one of the cornerstones of the youth ministry. She's a tech guru. She is the one who manhandles or woman handles setup and tear down like a boss. But one thing about Sky Weber is that she is a complete straight up weirdo when it comes to reading. She does this whole weird thing where she will open up a new book and she'll read the very first line or the very first page. And then without reading a single word or sentence, she'll then flip to the very end of the book, the very last page, and read that last line or that whole entire last page. My you're a weirdo. But what fascinates her is to see how the plot evolves and characters change to get from point A to point B. Now, I am a normal person, at least when it comes to reading. I don't want to know the ending. I, I, I avoid that final, that final page, that, that final sentence like it's the plague. And so what I do, like any normal human being, is I read it from the very beginning enjoying the plot twists and turns and character development and all that stuff until I get to the ending, which is usually always my favorite part, because now it all resolves. Now, when it comes to the Gospel of John, we're all kind of like Sky Weber with a book. We end up knowing the ending at the beginning. But if you've been with us, if you've been with us as we've read every single word, every single verse of the Gospel of John in between the beginning and the end, here now we arrive at the first part of the ending, which is hardly an ending at all. And now before we dive into the ending of the Gospel of John, I want to just bring us up to speed. Maybe you haven't been with us, but here we are after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to his disciples. Here we are after Jesus breathed on his disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit. And with it, this implication that they go out and change the world by this great power that is inside of them. Here we are after Jesus and Thomas have this interaction. Thomas seems to doubt, and Jesus says, Bro, put your hand in my side. Feel my wounds. Here we are after Thomas then gives this profound confession of faith. He says of Jesus, My Lord and my God. Here we are with the purpose of the book in John chapter 20. 
verses 30 through 31. Why don't you stand with me if you're able to stand as we thank God and show reverence for his word. As we read the purpose of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. It says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And to this, Lord, we say amen. We say so be it. Let it happen. We pray that it be made manifest among us that we would be people of your word. That we would have this great purpose in our lives. And tonight you would show us that. That, Lord, the ending is not the ending, but merely the beginning of something even greater we could ever imagine. We love and praise you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So while all that that we just read... In chapter 20, while that all kind of just sounds like a a nice close to the story, the story actually continues with the ending. How things play out and how it all resolves and draws to a conclusion. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. So Jesus has appeared and has revealed and has shown himself to his disciples all throughout the gospel. But now Jesus is revealing himself further. The disciples are about to learn something new, and so are we. Verse 2 says, several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other disciples. So if you're counting along, I count seven there. Where are the other five? Well, we know about Judas. Dustin spoke about Judas here on Sunday. He's long gone and dead. But surprisingly, the Gospel of John doesn't mention the fate of Judas. Anyway, I count seven of the eleven remaining original twelve. Verse 3a says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Peter Jesus was just crucified for the sins of the world. He defeated death by being raised from the dead. And he's just given you the Holy Spirit. And all along, he's talked about you guys, the disciples, changing the world. So yeah, you're going to go fishing? Now there's nothing wrong with fishing, except if you enunciate the G. I think uh, grammatically it's proper to just say fishing. Right? That's, that was kind of like a joke to soften you up, but you guys are ice cold tonight. Fishing. Can you say it with me? Fishing. Thanks over here. You guys said fishing with me. Appreciate that. I love fishing. 
In fact, I'm going to be leaving in T-minus 11 days to go salmon fishing in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know why you're applauding me, but that's pretty sweet. I'm going with my father-in-law and brother-in-laws, all dudes, so there's probably not going to be any vegetables or any fruit on the menu. We'll come back with stomach ulcers or just, just terrible, feeling disgusting. But I love fishing or fishing. But for Peter, the timing of his I'm going fishing, it appears awfully out of sync with everything going on. It makes us question, is he returning to his old B.C. before Christ ways? Or does he just have bills to pay? Or is this just an old hobby he's pursuing? Can't really say. But the timing, it appears awfully out of sync with everything. Verse 3b says, We'll come too, they all said. So are all of them returning to their B.C. ways? Or do they have bills to pay? Or are they just pursuing an old-time hobby? But it says, So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. That little bit there about nighttime and not catching anything, it might have some symbolic overtones going on, especially in light of Jesus sending the disciples out into the world and changing it. The timing of their we're going fishing, it appears awfully out of sync with everything. It seems a little inappropriate, even if it's not rebellious of them. Let's talk about this around the people or around the table with the people around you. How do you keep from returning to your BC before Christ ways? Is this a challenge? Why or why not? Now I'm presupposing that we are believers talking about this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, that's okay. You can still talk about this. But for everyone else, go ahead, get going. All right, go ahead and finish the thought. We'll bring it back together. We've got a lot of time uh, that we're going to be spending in groups tonight doing some more table talks. So uh, don't feel like this is the last time you're going to get to talk to each other. But in 1986, following a a period of drought and low lake levels, a first century fishing boat was discovered on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. The excavated and preserved remains of this boat were 27 feet long, 7 and a half feet wide. The boat could be rowed by four rowers at a time, and it had a mast as well uh, for a sail, known as the, the Jesus Boat. Not because, you know, Jesus was in this particular boat, but the boat is typical for the first century time period. And this discovery provided archaeologists with a lot of of information about design and construction of first century boats that floated upon the Sea of Galilee. So it's perhaps in one of these 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four rower and a mast for a sail, first century boats, that the seven disciples here spend all night with loose and empty nets. Verse 4 says, At dawn Jesus was standing on the beach... But the disciples couldn't see who he was. 
Whereas that bit about it being nighttime and not catching anything might have some symbolic overtones, so too this bit about dawn and the breaking of a brand new day might be symbolic too. A new era opening up for the disciples of Jesus. But they don't realize it quite yet. They couldn't even see that it was Jesus. Even as he stands on the shore. Sounds strange. Even as he stands on the shore within shouting distance from where they floated with loose and empty nets, they couldn't see who he was. Maybe because it was twilight. Maybe it's the distance. Maybe it's some other reason. Well, verses 5 through 6a says, He called out, Fellows! Paideia in Greek, it's an affectionate masculine term of greeting. You could also say something like, Boys or fellas, dudes, bros, have you caught any fish? The way that the, the Greek sentence is arranged, it assumes a negative Answer Like asking, you dudes uh, catch anything tonight? Or, or better yet, you dudes haven't caught any fish tonight, have you? And they answer, no. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. I remember fishing at Lake Powell on the border of Arizona and Utah. And the guy's boat that we were fishing in was equipped with this high-tech device that would tell you if there were fish in the area. And they would actually tell you at what depth the fish would be. It was called a a fishy finder. And uh, it worked. I caught this big black catfish. And I wanted to cook it. But I was just a kid. My dad was like, no, we're not going to cook this thing. It's a nasty, dirty bottom feeder. But if you've ever tried catfish before, it's actually pretty good if you bread it and uh, fry it and just put butter all over it. But anyways, it's, it's a good fish to have. But here in Galilee, we've got some seasoned fishermen. And they've spent all night their nets loose and empty, not looking good. And to make matters worse, at the break of dawn, some stranger on the beach, some armchair fisherman, decides to give his two cents. Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. The two cents must have sounded ludicrous to these seasoned fishermen. The suggestion is just laughable. Don't you think we already tried to do that? But with nothing to lose... It says, verse 6b, so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. That's Jesus, the fish whisperer. Sure, he's the son of God, the risen Lord, the king of kings and Lord of lords, but he's also the fishy finder, and it worked. And even after they obey the two cents of the stranger on the beach, After they obey this armchair fisherman, they still don't know it's Jesus. Verse 7a says, Then the disciple Jesus loved, who might be John's son of Zebedee, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. 
Some translations say he was naked. But wait, like what? What is he doing naked at dawn? It's a party boy or something. But it seems strange. Either it's how you dress or not when you fish, feeling free and all. Or it's that he's rocking some type of a a loincloth. Now he's getting suited up to go greet Jesus. Fishermen usually at this particular time in history worked in their light undergarments. You don't see that on Deadliest Catch or Wicked Tuna or whatever those shows are. These guys would wear just, you know, skimpy, light clothing because they're moving around. It's hot. It's messy work. They're not using rods, right? They're using nets to throw it out. It's, it's heavy, especially if you just caught all of these fish and your nets are about to burst. But here he's perhaps wearing light undergarments. And so he decides, i got to be presentable. It's, it's Jesus here. So verse 7b says, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed back to shore. Now, if you're a normal human being, that just sounds backwards and irrational. Normally, we strip down before going in, before performing that perfect reverse double somersault half-twist cannonball that soaks everyone in a 10-foot vicinity. What Peter does sounds backwards and irrational, but it sure looks like a deep desire to get to Jesus quick. You know, it's what we do. On Sunday and Wednesdays, right? We've got this deep desire to worship Jesus. And so we get to church really quick. We, we don't want to be late in loving people. We want to be on time for praising God with the community of believers. It's what we do when a brother or sister is in need, right? We've got this deep desire to help them, and so we help really quick before anyone else has to find out about it. We don't want to be late in being the hands and feet of God or neglecting our brothers and sisters. It's what we do when it's just an ordinary day, right? We've got this deep desire to grow in our faith, and so we we focus on God quick before anything else. We don't want to be late in letting the day pass us by or be unsuited in the full armor of God, right? I look at my life, I'm like, oh, yeah, no. When was the last time I showed up to church early just because, right? Because I had this idea of honoring God and loving people with that extra amount. When was the last time I was rushing to help a brother or sister in need? Not just when I have time for it or if it fits in the schedule, but like that's my deep desire. Or what about uh, just an ordinary day? Making sure I set aside time first and foremost for some deep prayer and deep study of God's word or waking up early to do that. Let's do some table talk. What keeps you from living out a deeper desire to worship or to help or to grow? And then not how can you or how might you, but how will you develop this deeper desire? Ready to go.
So in order to answer this question about how these two passages might be connected, you kind of have to know a little bit more how the gospel ends, and that'll be more of next week. But let's just read uh, chapter 18, verse 18. It says, because it was cold, here we are in the event of Peter's first denial. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. John 21, 9 says, When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. The author of the gospel notes that a charcoal fire is burning here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's also specifically a charcoal fire burning in the courtyard where Peter had denied Jesus. Sure, we're going to find out soon that this is the third time that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples after his resurrection. But it's here at another charcoal fire where there's going to be a heart-to-heart between Jesus and Peter that involves those actions back at the other charcoal fire. So it's an image that connects the two stories together. Before his crucifixion, Jesus had served his disciples by washing their feet in John chapter 13. Now, he continued to serve them as their risen Lord by providing them with a warm fire and breakfast. On the menu, we've got bread and we've got fish. Common staples. It's what Jesus used to miraculously provide for the masses. But here on this charcoal fire, there's already one fish. The Greek is opsarion, singular, whereas what we'll see next is plural. As Jesus says in verse 10, bring some of the fish, opsarion, plural, that you've just caught, Jesus said. As if to say, I've miraculously multiplied loaves of bread and fish in the past for you, and I just miraculously did it again, fishy finder style. But now, you go. You go and by your hands, bring me some of the fish you've just caught. By my help, of course. It seems that Jesus might here be encouraging the disciples to use the product of their own labor to provide for their own needs. What might be going on is something symbolic here. The you go bring me some of the fish you've caught might be symbolic of how Jesus is going to carry out his mission through the labor of his disciples in the future compared to how he had done it pre-cross ministry. So in other words, the disciples, you guys have a job to do. You people have a responsibility, works to fulfill. Verse 11 says, So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish. Now that's rather specific. And yet the net hadn't torn. Why 153 to be precise? 
Some have tried to allegorize this or to use some sort of form called gematria, which is like giving numbers a certain value and, and trying to add stuff up or whatever. But I, I think the 153 just adds credibility to the story and credibility to its authorship. And there's also the reality that fishermen know exactly how many fish they've caught. They might tell a fish story when it comes to how big the fish might be, but I guarantee you they know exactly how many fish they've caught. Verse 12, Jesus says, Now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. In the ancient Near East, a host who extends hospitality and provides food is implying that he will defend his guests from this point here on out. It's more than a meal. It's more than just sharing some fish and some loaves of bread. It's a promise of commitment that involves acceptance and forgiveness and peace and trust. And by accepting this invitation of Jesus, the disciples are recommitting themselves to him and to his cause. Let's do one more table talk tonight. Read John 1, 35 through 39. 7, 37 through 39, and 21, 12 through 13, and compare these three invitations of Jesus. What is Jesus inviting the disciples into? You know, you all are doing something pretty profound tonight as you've been exploring Scripture, thinking critically about scripture and you're doing it in community and seeing how it applies and seeing how it connects and something beautiful happens when we do that. We grow closer and deeper in our relationship to God and also to other people. These three invitations in the gospel of John to come and are three standout invitations to experience Jesus fully. To come and see in John 1.39 to come and drink in John 7:37 and come and dine in John 21:12 it's this extended invitation to experience Jesus fully it's an invitation that is extended to us to experience Jesus fully it's an invitation that we shouldn't deny others from experiencing as well and so I can't help but challenge us. Who can you invite to church this week? I know there's someone on your mind, someone on your heart. Who can you invite to church this week? And even more than that, who can you invite this week to experience Jesus? If you don't know, pray about it. If you do know, pray about it. And ask God to make a way, an opening, an opportunity for you to do that. I think about when was the last time, Jeremy, you invited someone to church? When was the last time you invited someone into experiencing more of God? Let's take that challenge this week and truly live it out. Because someone invited you, right? 
someone encouraged you to come. There's a reason why we're here. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Here they indulge in the most important meal of the day with the most important person in the world, empowered by the most important power imaginable, the Holy Spirit, but they've yet to live out the most important purpose for their lives. That's where you and I might find ourselves here tonight. But Jesus has invited us in to experience him fully. And next week, as we close out the Gospel of John, we'll hear about it. This challenging experience to to follow Jesus. The challenging encouragement that's given to Peter and also the events of the soon coming future. But I hope that you see tonight that the ending is not the ending at all, but it's merely the beginning. It's merely the beginning. It's it's an ending that presents a brand new story. A new story that you and I get to experience and be a part of. We know the ending. We can read the first line and flip to the final page and we discover Jesus wins. But we get to fill in each letter and each line as we experience the pages of faith and works for the sake of of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We get to invite others along to come and see and come and drink and come and dine and come experience Jesus fully because it's worth it and it'll change your life in a real, authentic, and tangible way. And whether there are seven of us or 11 of us or 12 of us, we're going for it. Even if... We've been unsuccessful for some time. We will obey and lower those nets in the most unlikely of places. Because we have this deep desire that might sound backwards and it might sound irrational. But if Jesus provided for the masses and if Jesus filled the nets to bursting, I think he can do it. And I think he can certainly do it again. Because he hasn't banished us because of our sin. He hasn't distanced us or exiled us because of our wrongdoing. But in that place and over that place, over those charcoal fires of shame in our lives, he's welcomed us. He's completely invited us into something new. And it all might sound like quite the fish story But it's Jesus who's called us out of unlikely places. And it's Jesus who's given us hope, a calling, and a purpose. Not to live out a sad, lackluster display of discipleship. But to live out the ending, which is really the beginning of God's good news. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to experience more of you. It is our deepest desire. All our delight is in you, Lord. So send us out. Send us out like the fearless disciples 
who moved from this moment with you on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, crowded around the charcoal fire. Maybe they felt like failures. Maybe we feel like failures. But no, Lord, you don't call failures. You call us to succeed, and succeed we will by your grace and with your power inside of us. How much more amazing things can we accomplish because of the, that great power inside of us, the great work you have for us to do. Put those people on our heart that we need to invite to church, that we need to experience more of you. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.